friends, fans, and colleagues. Uh, it's uh, Wednesday, so you know it must be uh, the night for Voices of the Sacred Feminine. And I'm your host, Karen Tate. Uh, I've been here with you uh, for more than 13 years. Uh, sometimes it's hard to believe, but then I look at the archives and uh, all the wonderful interviews and wisdom my great guests have uh, shared, and I go, yep, yep, I guess it's been about 13 years. Um, and I want to just give a shout-out to uh, the Reclaiming folks. Uh, the cut you were listening to there is called Sweetwater, and it's from uh, their campfire chant songs of uh, of social activism. And uh, uh, if you're looking for something for your group or just for your own enjoyment uh, to listen, uh, I would look for that, the uh, Reclaiming Campfire Songs and Chants. And that one was Sweetwater. Well, uh, as I said, uh, I think most of my guests, I, I pick them very carefully because I think they're way showers and, uh, uh, and wisdom keepers, and uh, tonight's guest uh, is, uh, is no different. I have with me Dr. Sandra uh, Matheson. She's an author of the upcoming book, Thrive After 40, How to Seize Life and Grow Your Dreams. And, uh, you know, she's not a city girl. She's a lifelong rancher, a retired vet, a consensus facilitator, and an educator in regenerative agriculture. Uh, her grass-fed beef and yak operation is located in northwest uh, Washington State. She's also an avid photographer and documentary film producer. Her passion is helping people, particularly women, become more successful in both their personal and business lives. And she's one of the founders and co-facilitators of the new cowgirl camp, which we're going to chat about. Uh, it's an intensive, empowering, week-long experience for women interested in learning more about or wishing to connect to the forming ranching life. So, um, Sandra, welcome to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Um, well, uh, I read one of your quotes and it said, uh, almost everything I know about life I learned from the form. Uh, why don't you give us a little thumbnail of what you mean by that? Well, having grown up on the farm, spending my whole life there, I was introduced at a pretty young age about, um, you know, just appreciating the beauty of nature and understanding and appreciating the hard work. I had an opportunity to witness up close the miracle of life and the sadness of death, um, all you know that took place on the farm. I learned a lot of lessons there. Some were positive, some were hard. Some of them I definitely learned the hard way. Um, in fact, some were pretty harsh lessons, but they all still serve me um, today in my maturity, and I just feel that um, you know those those things that I learned on the farm have helped me become, I think, a more um, powerful person and a, um, um, a person who is willing to, you know, go, go forth and, you know, do what she wants to do and achieve her dreams. Well, um, you know, one of the reasons um, I invited you to come on the show uh, is I really felt like, especially at this point in my life, uh, I so resonated with who you are and what you were talking about. Uh, myself, I spent uh, the last 30 years in the city in Venice Beach, California, and uh, because of uh, an accident my husband had, uh, we relocated to a rural area, and I'll tell you, I am so glad to be here. Um, I, I, I think now uh, on these days that I have to trek back into the city that uh, I wonder how I endured it, quite frankly. Um, there's just something about being out in nature, as you said, and not just visiting for a weekend or a camping trip or a hike. Uh, I mean, those are great, but I think uh, living here I don't know, it grounds you, it slows you down. Um, you know, it just, I don't know, it's just totally changed my entire perspective. And um, likewise, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, uh, you know, in my 60s now, my early 60s, and uh, this this topic was, uh, you know, important to me as well because, you know, I've just gone through what some of us refer to as a second Saturn return, and it's where you kind of rethink your life 
and, uh, you know, decide what you were doing maybe doesn't work for you anymore and you try to figure out what the next part of your life here on the planet is going to be about. So I thought, uh, Sandra, you and I would uh, have a lot in common tonight. So thank you for being here. Well, thank you. I'm 63, and so, um, you know, I've had some time to think about some of those things as well. And I also realize that now that I'm getting older, um, and I've, you know, I've had a few accidents on the farm and elsewhere that, you know, I'm not quite as um, able, not as agile and not able to get around quite as much. And so, you know, that's one of the things that I'm thinking about is, you know, how long will I continue to do the, the real physical part of the farming and, um, you know, it, and realizing that, yeah, the clock is ticking a little bit, so why not do those things I want to do? Well, you know, I was uh, just, uh, you know, look, searching for answers for myself. Uh, I had just picked up a book uh, by a woman I hope to get on the show eventually. I believe her name was Cheryl Richardson. She wrote a book called uh, Waking in Winter, and uh, she described herself um, as a tree uh, with bare branches. And I could so resonate with that because it's like everything that used to uh, kind of float your boat and give you reason for getting up in the morning, suddenly it didn't anymore. And so now you're this tree with bare branches until the new passions and inspiration and ideas and directions start to flower and sprout. And um, I, I just love that analogy. And um, one of the things she said was you really have to look closely at what makes you happy because so often we do things out of commitment, familiarity, guilt. Um, and she was talking about in this next phase of our life to make sure the stuff we're doing is really stuff we enjoy and we're, you know, we're discerning. We do things for the right reasons. And I don't know, I kind of think I, I, uh, that's what I heard you perhaps say as well. Yes. Um, you know, I, the, the reason I had the idea for the book was because I had really looked around at some of my friends, you know, people that I went to school with, people that are, you know, my friends um, at this stage in my life, and some of them were really struggling with, um, you know, they, you know they, they're either stuck in their job or they lost their job or, or they're retiring from their job, and, um, you know, they've kind of done the things they were expected to do throughout their life, and, you know, whether it be, you know, go to college, get married, have a family, you know, keep on working, and um, suddenly they realize that maybe some of those things are changing, some of those things are coming to an end, and um, maybe they're not satisfied with where they're at right now. And so, um, yeah, so that was pretty much my inspiration for writing and realizing that, um, you know, there, there are people out there that are looking at the second half of their life, and I, I honestly, I swear by looking at some of them and and listening to some of them that, you know, that they've, like, I don't, I don't want to say given up, but it's like it's the downhill. And for me, you know, I, I really would like to see people look at that second half of their life and embrace that second half of their life and, you know, do those things they, they really want to do or do what's fun, you know, instead of just working all the right. time. Well, you know, you being a rancher, um, uh, well, I know you said that you're, you know, seeing your friends uh, was part of the inspiration uh, for your book, but I'm wondering if um, the rancher hat that you wear, um, you know, was that part of what inspired you, you to write the book as well? Was there, you know, influence from, you know, leading more of a rural life? Well, I think when I started writing the book, it was it was going to kind of start out to be more of, you know, a typical self-help, you know, self-improvement sort of book. But I realized as I got to writing that I really couldn't separate the, you know, the farmer rancher from the, you know, the person writing a, a self-improvement book and that there were so many lessons that I learned. And so, um, yeah, so really... You know, growing up in the situation, living in a rural area my whole life, 
um, has really, you know, it's shaped who I am and how I think about things. And, you know, I take, I believe I take a more holistic approach to the world. And so, um, yeah, so it really has influenced me. It didn't start out that way, but, but as I began writing, I realized that, no, there are so many lessons that I can share from, you know, this rural lifestyle and, and this, this farming, ranching lifestyle that I can share and I think will be applicable to most people. Yeah, and uh, I saw, I would imagine your perspective and maybe even um, – uh, you, you know, your perspective is maybe just a bit different. You know, I, I think just city life versus, um, you know, uh, you know, more of a rural life. I mean, I know I've shifted already, and I've only been here since Christmas. And um, but anyway, um, you know, you mentioned um, embracing our maturity. Um, talk about that a little bit more. Um, do you? think that maybe especially women living in this patriarchal society where older women are devalued and become invisible that um, you know unfortunately maybe women tend to buy into that and allow themselves to become invisible rather than seeing this as a time of liberation when they can maybe tap into you know all of their wisdom and life experience um, yes, I believe so. I mean, as we age, we, you know, there are obvious that there are many challenges that we encounter. I mean, there are things that, you know, generally, you know, a lot of them we have no control over. Some of them we do. Um, and, you know, whether it be the physical challenges or, you know, we do also as older adults and particularly as older women, we're, we still face that um uh, ageism, I guess, is the right term that I'm thinking of, um, where, you know, suddenly we're, we're not, you know, we're not young, we're not as attractive to an employer if, if we do want to, you know, go and, and find another job. Um, we also are looked upon as maybe not being able to contribute as much because we are older. And, um, you know, so those are those are some of the challenges that we face. Again, as well as the physical challenges as we we get older, and then as we watch ourselves get older, you know, we we have this kind of you know this self-image that sometimes can be a little bit destructive because we're thinking, oh gosh, you know, I'm I'm too fat, I'm too old, I can't do what I used to do. Um, you know, I haven't kept up with all the the new technology, so I'm not smart enough to do this or that. And, you know, and in some cases, sadly, you know, who would want to love me? You know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm older and, you know, my, my breaths are sagging and my hips are too big. Um, you know, so there are so many of these things that, that we face and, and some of them, some of them I think are what society has kind of led us to believe are true and others we've kind of brought upon ourselves in some cases. But um, it's really... Uh, it, to me, I think that although that we face these many challenges, we can also embrace our maturity. One of the things that I think we often forget about is we have learned so much in our time on this earth. I think about what I used to know compared to what I know now, and I think about how I used to be as an individual. I was very, very shy. And I was afraid to ruffle feathers. I was afraid to go against the grain when I was, you know, really little, afraid to do anything wrong. I was one of those, I guess, perfect children who didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> but um, as I got a little bit older, I started getting, um, oh, you know, like in junior high and such, I got to thinking about what I wanted to do. And um, I was really lucky because I had um, a a woman veterinarian who was our veterinarian for our animals. And so I never had any doubt in my mind um, after meeting her that I could become a veterinarian. But I, you know, I received a lot of negative, you know, feedback on the, the idea of me becoming a veterinarian and uh, a lot of discouragement along the way. But, you know, I, I did it. And so now I think about how, you know, although I did have to fight for a lot when I was young, um, gosh, if I... If I were to do it all over again, you know, I would have hit it earlier and harder <laughs> and stronger. Um, so we really have a gift of our wisdom, 
and I call it our, you know, our over 40 wisdom that we've got um, that we accumulate over the years, and we can't forget about that. It's there to serve us, and um, it's there to, you know, help us. You know, we've learned by our mistakes, and, you know, hopefully we'll make better decisions in the future. So I really think that we have a lot to embrace, and we also, um, you know, uh, many people have a little more spare time. You know, they may be retired from their jobs. Not everybody has that available, but um, but still, you know, we have opportunities to do things we haven't done before, or things we've always wanted to do, or things that we have always enjoyed doing. Maybe do a little bit more of it. So I think there really is a lot that we can embrace about our maturity. And, um, you know, I just really would, you know, I, I just want to see other people be able to embrace, um, you know, the second half of our lives um, and, you know, do do what is meaningful to them, do what's important to them, and to take advantage of all those things that we've learned over the previous years of our life. Right, right. I think it's really important to shake uh, off uh, the shackles of, uh, you know, the cultural conditioning. Uh, and honestly, I don't even think 40 is old anymore. Um, you know, you look at so many actresses now or, um, you know, women in, um, you know, in business or in the law, and, I mean, you know, they're still going strong at 70 and even 80, you know. Um, I'm starting to believe 50 and 60 isn't even old anymore. You know, 50 and 60 is the way we used to look at 40, and 70 is the new 50, you know, because uh, mm-hmm. people are taking better care of themselves. And, um, you know, I, I think, um, you know, age is really, uh, you know, becoming more of just a number. And, you know, interestingly, for some of those listeners who might not, um, you know, know about this idea I'm about to mention, um, you know, within, um, you know, uh, goddess communities, some feminist communities, um, you know, a woman's life had been divided into three phases, a maiden, uh, you know, when you're nubile and, uh, you know, sexy and, uh, uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, you're, you're kind of at that sexual peak and then there's the mother phase you know when you give and give and give and have all your children and take care of your family and then there was this crone phase where you were the old wise woman Um, and interesting that maiden mother crone idea was um, created by a man I think it was Robert Graves and now women in this uh, you know in, in this time well we've inserted another life phase in there between mother and crone because after you've uh, sent your family off and you've done your job as a mother, uh, before you're ready to really retire and become that wise elder, now there's the queen phase we refer to. And you're sort of queen of your realm. And, you know, you're going to take advantage of life's, uh, life experiences and life wisdom. And like you said, um, Sandra, you know, if you knew, you know, uh, you, you know, you would hit things. If, if you knew when you were 20 what you know now, you know, you would hit things harder and fast. And um, it's kind of like the idea of the queen, you know, she's responsible for her realm and, um, you know, she's empowered and, uh, you know, she's, uh, you know, sort of this benevolent, uh, you know, uh, you know, person sort of overseeing that which she is still responsible for. But it's a, you know, it's, but it's a place of, uh, you know, of, of power and authority in a sense, you know, where, where people look up to you for your, you know, for that wisdom instead of going straight from uh, mother, you know, giving, giving, giving straight to elder crone, you know, it's like they kind of forgot this really potent part, you know, of, uh, of a woman's life. <laughs> exactly. And I think about the, so many of the things that I have done since I was 40. So in the, in the last 20 years, I have done things I never would have imagined that I would do. And, um, you know, and it makes me think back, well, the first 40 years, you know, yes, I, I did have a profession. I, I did work in veterinary practice, and, I you know, I did a lot of amazing things at that time, but I've done so many more things just in the last 20 years, and I'm doing a whole lot more in the next however many years I have left, which I I do plan to live to be at least 100, so I've got a few left. 
Well, one of the things I've actually started doing is actually create a bucket list, you know, because so many things um, I didn't have time to do the last 30 years that just sort of got pushed aside, even frivolous little things. Like, you know, I always used to think about um, I wanted to go to a karaoke bar with my husband because we really liked the Sonny and Cher song, I Got You, Babe. And one day I really want to go to a karaoke place and the two of us find the nerve to get up on the stage and sing that and videotape it, you know, and 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 uh, check that off the bucket list, you know. Um, but uh, you know, you, uh, you you know you you have some thoughts on uh, people's fear of change, and I wonder what um, words of wisdom you might have about that, or what theories uh, you think would benefit listeners. Well, I can tell you that change is very frightening for most most people, most of us, I think, at some point or another. Um, change is kind of like, you know, I, I consider it like that monster in the closet or, or um, you know, the shark under your bed or the, the glowing red eyes in the woods at night. Um, it's something that we haven't actually seen it, um, and we don't even know if it's there. We don't know if it will hurt us. Um, but it scares us, and it scares us in the here and now, whether or not it, it is happening or whether it will happen. But change is very frightening. And, and there's that saying, you know, the devil we know is better than the devil we don't know. Um, somehow it's comforting to know what to expect, even if it's bad, as opposed to not knowing what to expect. And so that change is very frightening for us oftentimes. And people will often stay in a bad situation because the prospect of an unknown future, um, you know, or unknown events prevent them from being able to move forward. It was like, um, you know, I'll be really honest, thinking about during a time there were many years when I thought, you know, this marriage is not working. But I was afraid. I was afraid to get divorced because I was concerned about, you know, losing my, my property, you know, my farm. Um, I was, you know, just concerned about the whole uncertainty, and we had children at the time. And, um, you know, I was, yeah, I mean, I was afraid, even though I was, you know, I was not very happy. I was, you know, kind of miserable at the time. And it really, you know, it really just, it took a long time for me to get over that fear of, of you know, going into a future that was a little bit uncertain. And as it turned out, you know, once I finally did have the courage to just do that, you know, just to say this is it, we're, you know, we're done, um, then, yeah, I mean, it wasn't easy necessarily, but I can tell you that, um, you know, my, you know, my life definitely was much more satisfying afterwards, and, and also, you know, I actually do have a better relationship with my, my former husband than I, did when I married, you know, we're, you know, we're friends, we still help each other out, but, you know, we could not live together, and I was just afraid to initiate that. So a lot of times we right. are afraid to do something, even if the what's happening now, you know, is a terrible thing, we're often afraid of change. And we tend to live in what we call our worst possible outcomes. We think about what can possibly happen, and we feel that anxiety, we feel that fear in our bodies, like it's happening right now, right here. But really, you know, there is another choice there. There are what we call best possible outcomes that are probably much more likely to happen and that can make our lives much easier and um, change it for the better. But, again, it is really hard to face change. Yeah, and again, I can relate. Um, I, you know, my husband and I worked for 30 years for uh, an employer, and um, the first 20 years were probably pretty decent. And the last 10, uh, we were badly mistreated and misused. And um, uh, it was difficult to make the decision to leave. And uh, you know, and, and the decision was, uh, you know, ultimately made for us because my husband uh, fell and hit his head, uh, and then we were just let go. Uh, but, you know, I think back on it now, uh, you know, what a gift this was. But in those 10 years of misery, I can't tell you the times I thought about leaving, but because of our age, because I didn't want to start all over again. Uh, and also, too, you know, it's almost like 
uh, domestic violence in a way. You know, I've, I've started to see it like that because things can be bad and then they all cal- it calms down and you think, okay, I, I can I can tolerate this. But then, you know, the, the, the shit starts to pile up again. And, you know, it's like this roller coaster, you know, up and down, up and down. And... Um, uh, you know, but it, it, it but it does it, it it puts you in a fearful place, and you uh, kind of just um, uh, tolerate the familiar, uh, even though you're not happy, even though it's probably not healthy for you. It's a toxic environment. Maybe you're being, uh, you know, abused. Maybe you're not in a safe. Uh, you know, work environment or whatever it is, uh, home environment. Um, but, you know, I, I've started to think about suggesting to people that and face that fear and think of uh, change as an adventure. And, uh, of course, I know that's not easy, uh, but uh, it's, you know, that shift in perspective and uh, I, I think it does help because that's how I started to look at the change that was sort of brought on us. Um, okay, so how can I make this an adventure uh, rather than feeling victimized, you know? And um, I don't know, I, that, that, worked, that worked for me. But I, I know, I mean, change is, uh, change is incredibly hard. Uh, but, but, you know, moving on to something else in your book, and, um, you know, again, I want to give the title, Thrive After 40. Um, um, you, you also believe we can learn a lot from our animals. Um, it, tell us more about that. Well, you know, I am continually amazed at how really wonderful animals are and how much they can teach us. I think back on some of the experiences that that I've had over the years, um, um, and you know, once something that just just came to mind was I remember at one point when I was out of town, um, my daughter's um, cow um, suddenly was was found dead, and um, as it turned out, she was running and apparently tripped and broke her neck. I mean, it was just a totally freak accident. But I asked, um, uh, I was going to come home the next day when I, after I found out about it, and I said, just leave her there. I want to be able to, you know, kind of assess the situation, see if I can figure out what happened. Um, so when I came home, I was amazed because I saw that there was always at least one or two other animals standing guard over her body. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, it was just, it kind of just, you know, I mean, it it makes me emotional just thinking about it. And I've seen that since then over the years that um, a lot of times if an animal dies and if their an- their body has not been removed, um, there's always one there to stand guard over it and to watch it. And, you know, I think about, you know, they take care of each other. I mean, not, I mean, not always, you know, especially with wild animals. Um, you know, there is kind of this survival of the fittest and, you know, the weak, you know, may be killed. But I think in a lot of the, you know, the domesticated animals, especially in the livestock, the cattle that I work with, that there really is, you know, kind of a, a taking care of each other um, sort of um, mentality, which I think is really a beautiful thing. And, you know, I wish it's more, I wish more humans would be willing to take care of each other sometimes. But yeah, we learn a lot from each other. Um, you know, I think that that they have, um, you know, their lives are not complicated by, you know, all the things that the noise, as I call it, the the white noise in the background, all the the worry, the politics, the, you know, all the things that are going on. They kind of just go out there. They, you know, they live their life and they seem to be happy, you know, and they play and. Um, yeah, I just really, I really enjoy being with them. And to me, one of the most relaxing things is just to go stand out there, particularly on a summer day, you know, watching the the cattle graze or in the evening watching the calves just run and play. And they really just kind of have this sort of, you know, happy, humble, unencumbered existence, I think, and um, oftentimes do take care of each other. So I think there's a lot that we can learn from them. 
Well, I love that picture, and um, as I break for a commercial here, I'm going to invite listeners uh, to do what I'm doing. I'm going to I'm going to visualize that for myself. <laughs> so anyway, um, we're going to take a quick break here, and um, um, I'm going to play for listeners something from a review of uh, Joe Carson's book uh, called uh, Celebrate Wildness. And, uh, Sandra, when we come back, I want to hear about this cowgirl camp, okay? Sounds great. I'll be glad to do that. Okay. Here we go. This is from Jonathan Nightshade, a traditional craft practitioner and researcher, writing about Joe Carson's book, Celebrate Wildness, Magic, Mirth, and Love, on the Feriferia Path. I love this book, how special this work is and how appreciated. As someone who was young in the 1970s and through the years only found snippets of information on Feriferia, one of the first modern pagan paths, this book comes as an artistic revelation of the core practices of the way of the goddess and gods reborn for the next age of the divine maiden. She has clearly introduced the historical background, philosophy, and ritual practices of the joyous wilderness mysteries of the fairy faith, illuminated by the marvelous pagan art of Feriferia's founder, Fred Adams. I was very pleased that the high-quality production of this oversized volume makes it a collectible work of art, as well as a testament to the visionary philosophy of Fred Adams. I feel blessed that I received a copy. I will treasure it and look forward to the next book for more of the deep philosophy and ritual practice of Feriferia. Celebrate Wildness is a dense, art book quality, hardcover book. You can get it for just $45 from the Feriferia website at feriferia.org. That's F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A dot org. And just to clarify, Joe Carson's lovely book, Celebrate Wildness, is available only at feriferia.org, F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A.org. So uh, getting back to Sandra Matheson, uh, who's written um, uh, a wonderful book filled with wisdom, A Thrive After 40, How to Seize a Life and Grow Your Dreams. Um, she started this thing called the New Cowboy, uh, not Cowboy, the New Cowgirl Camp. Um, so Sandra, tell us, uh, first of all, why don't we start with what's your definition of a new cowgirl and what is this cowgirl camp? Well, we're we are very adamant about making sure that we call it the new cowgirl camp, and the reason for that is we want to change that image. The original image that we think about with a you know the the cowboy, the American cowboy, is kind of that you know that rough shaven guy with a you know can of chew in his pocket, and you know he's holding the lariat, he's sitting on a horse, and and. Um, you know, it's just kind of that image that a lot of, particularly a lot of foreign visitors think that most of us Americans look like that, and oftentimes they're kind of disappointed that we don't look like that. But uh, in agriculture, agriculture has been a very, you know, over the years, over, you know, a very long time, has been a pretty much uh, male-dominated um, industry. And by male-dominated, I mean the ones who appear to be, you know, the managers, the owners, although women have been in, involved in agriculture, um, you know, since the beginning of time, right? You know, we're, we're the original hunter, or excuse me, the gatherers and the, the farmers. And so, you know, we've looked at that, that image of the American cowboy, and we look at the agriculture industry, and it is oftentimes very intimidating for women who do want to get started in agriculture to be able to do this, do that. So we wanted to create kind of a new image, and that new image is of the, the new cowgirl, as we call her, who is a woman of any age, of any background, who stands on her own two feet. She's carrying a calf or a lamb under one arm. She's got a... Um, uh, laptop in, under the other arm in her back pocket. She's got a GPS, and in the other pocket, she's got a you know a pair of fence pliers. And she's a woman who can really do it all, whether it's on the farm with the animals, 
you know, doing the work and doing the farm business. And so that's the new, the new icon, I guess you might want to say, that we're trying to create with the new cowgirl camp. I love it. I love it. That's awesome. Well, you know, when you were describing the old cowboy, I was thinking about the Marlboro man, you know, that we used to see on the cigarette commercials. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I love this, uh, this new, uh, this, this new cowgirl image, you know, she can, she can kind of do it all. And, and, and I guess you do when you're out there, um, you know, uh, in, in rural America, um, you do have to be more self-sufficient, right? Oh yes, that is a fact. I mean, you never know on any given given day, given day, excuse me, if you're going to be, you know, delivering a calf or you know, selling your product or, um, um, you know, speaking to a group of people or you know, just working on your you know your financials, whatever it might be. But um, yeah, we pretty much have to do it all and have to be prepared to do it all. So um, tell me, for for us, let's say you know you're talking to a, you know to a bunch of city girls, how do they connect with their inner cowgirl? Well, I think part of it is just having that experience of you know being being in that farm or ranch setting and to be able to be around the animals, um, you know, and being around growing things, um, and really kind of it really is grounding I think to do that um you know as we talked about earlier for me I just love being outside I love being with the animals I love seeing things grow you know I love watching the babies being born and grow up and to me I think it comes down to really being centered and having that connection with not only with the land but also with the food the food that we eat because there there is there are a shocking number of people in the world who think that the food just comes from the grocery store and don't understand why farms or farmers or agriculture is important. And these are oftentimes very educated people. These are not just children. These are professional people sometimes. And so I think connecting to your inner cowgirl is really about becoming um, connected with the land and um, the food, but also by doing that, you become really connected with your inner self and maybe maybe getting to know parts of yourself that you maybe never you know never really spent a lot of time getting to know before. So I think it's just really that connection of of being outside, being around animals, and being around growing things. Yeah. Um, well, I know, you know, it, it had become a trend in, um, well, gee, I haven't done travel for a while. I used to be a part-time travel agent. But I know people were, um, you know, taking their families to dude ranches and stuff. But I, I, I get the feeling that your cowboy, uh, cowgirl, I have to get that straight, your cowgirl camp um, is a bit different than that. Um, how often do you do it, and um, do you usually have many women there, and what sort of activities happen at cowgirl camp? We are currently running cowgirl camp um, two times a year. We do not have a large number of people uh, in the group because it is very hands-on, and we found that um, we really need to to be able to do this effectively. We need to have a smaller, intimate group, and so we have anywhere we've had anywhere from eight to fifteen in each class. And in New Cowgirl Camp, they have an opportunity to um, learn about anything from you know animal care working with animals, um, you know, taking care of them, how to know if animals are sick. They learn about farm business. They learn about um, how to assess and monitor the land to know what is happening at the soil surface and how, you know, the plant communities and are, are doing to understand a little bit about what we call biodiversity or, you know, having that that great diversity of plants and animals of different kinds that grow in different ways at different times. Um, they learn about how to plan grazing for their animals, if they're going to have animals on their farm. They also um, learn how to um, uh, learn a little bit about how um, working animals, working dogs can help um, especially if you have sheep or if you have cattle. Um, oh, gosh. I mean, there's, there's just so much that that the people 
the women in there get a chance to learn about. And the other part that is, I think, is equally as valuable is that they have an opportunity to get to know each other and to network with each other. And we have some pretty serious, frank, open discussions about, um, you know, the challenges we face and, you know, and what do we need help with? How can we help each other? Um, you know, we, we work with specific examples that people are having. For instance, if somebody's having, you know, having to make a decision about something, we talk about how can you, you know, create your vision or your, what we call a holistic context for your farm or your ranch and your life and how can you use that to make better decisions. And so we take specific decisions um, that people are, are trying to work with and the group works through that and, um, you know, we help people do that. We also look at if those that have land already um, um, look at their vision for what they want that land to be and then we all brainstorm together how we can create the infrastructure for that land and how we can set it up so it will be the most effective and be make more sense for the animals and you know make more sense for the the people living there and working the land as well so there really is a, so oh a lot <laughs> a lot involved. well it sounds like it it so it sounds like you know they probably shadow a real rancher uh, you know, on, you know, during the course of her her busy day, and um, so this isn't this isn't really a vacation. This is for somebody serious about, um, I, I guess, delving deep into the rancher lifestyle, and uh, maybe at the same time, um, you know, they're in transition themselves, and it, uh, you know, kind of helps them on, you know, different, um, I would imagine, you know, different levels of their psyche. Yes, um, they. One of the things they do get to to participate in are actually the chores on the ranch. So everybody gets a chance to to do the various types of chores that are involved in the everyday ranching. And um, oh, and I'm sorry, I forgot the second part of your question. Oh, I was saying that uh, they get to. So this isn't really a vacation. I mean, this kind of gives them a taste of if this is something that they really want to do, they get a sense of what it's really going to be like. And aside from that, um, I would imagine that this, um, you know, affects them on different levels of their psyche as well. You know, because not only are they seeing you and these other women um, making this work for themselves, but, um, you know, it's it's kind of, uh, you know, they're, they're thrown in the middle of it, and uh, they, they're able to challenge themselves and see that they can maybe rise to the occasion. That's exactly it. It is an immersion, and they are definitely challenged. Um, some of the some of the things that they encounter, um, and one of them is actually, um, depending upon the timing and, and which which camp it is, they may be faced with um, watching uh, an animal that's been slaughtered, watching the um, um, you know the the processors um, preparing that carcass to bring it in to be cut up, um, you know, for for meat. And so, and some of the people said, I don't want to watch that. I don't want to do it, but I'll, I'll come. But as it turned out, they, within a few minutes, they were really into it and asking questions, what's this, you know, and, and looking at the different organs of the animal and, um, you know, and, and just trying to, and really kind of just taking it all in. Um, one of the things that we found to be very interesting, we thought it was going to be mostly young women that would come to the camps. But what we have found instead is that every camp we have had the whole whole spectrum from anywhere like 18 to 21 clear up to, you know, 55, 66 years of age. Um, and many of these women are in transition, as you mentioned. Um, they're looking at, you know, as something has happened in my life, or I'm getting older and I'm tired of the corporate thing, I'm tired of the regular job, um, you know, I want to explore to see if farming or ranching is something that, that I can do. Um, we've had retired, we've had a couple of retired physicians um, that, you know, are looking at, okay, well, I bought a little bit of land. Um, is this something that I want to have animals or crops on, or do I want somebody else to manage the land for me? 
But, you know, here they are at 65, 66, you know, looking at, you know, should I become a farmer? So, yeah, we're seeing it's very exciting to see that whole spectrum of, of age and diversity. We have, as I said, we've had anywhere from, you know, the retired um, physicians to um, we've had students, we've had um, real estate agents, um, we've had, we had a woman who is involved in a, a large fashion house in New York where they're looking at sourcing sustainable products and she's wanted to learn a little bit more about farming. On um, the last camp, we had a young, young scientist who, was, um, who works um, on the Mars rover, of all things, and she's not necessarily going to become a farmer, but she really wants to learn more about farming and, and wanted to become an activist for regenerative agriculture, so she came, and she is very inspired. So we've just had quite a variety of backgrounds of, of women come to the the camps and participate, and it's been very exciting to see the results. So how long does Cowgirl Camp last? Is it a week or what? It is five full days, and I should say and evenings too, because we have evening activities, and then after the the short evening session, then we have time around the, the campfire to just kind of enjoy each other, you know, sing, swap stories, whatever we want to do, just talk. Um, so right, it right. really is a very, very full five days, and most of them come the day before as well, just to kind of get, um, you know, oriented and get their camp set up. Well, you know, um, we're getting to the end here, uh, and I realized I didn't ask you um, about uh, your your farm, your ranch. Um, you know, uh, what sort of animals do you have? What do you grow? Um, what's the environment like there for you? And, um, you know, why do you feel like, you know, our environment is, is, is so important in our life? My farm is located in um, western Washington state. It is a very, tends to be a, you know, a wetter area. We're probably about two hours drive north of Seattle. And so um, it is a pretty lush area. Um, the thing, the frightening thing, though, is that we're seeing more and more um, dryness in the summers. Um, and it's becoming more of a trend. We're seeing more wildfires. Um, not so much where I live, but particularly in eastern Washington state. We're seeing some a lot of really severe, um, deadly wildfires happening. But we're also getting a few here in this area um, every year as well. So on my farm, I do raise beef cattle. I've always had beef cattle my entire life. Um, and I'm still farming the same farm that I grew up on. Um, so that's that's pretty exciting. We have four generations living on the farm. My mother's 98, and my youngest grandchild here on the farm is just turned one year old. So it's very exciting to to be able to have that diversity of age and all of us living on the farm together. Right. And uh, I so raise also yak, um, which is not the the common animal for people to raise, but I kind of fell in love with them and and I really enjoy having them there. You know, they're they're very similar to regular beef cattle, but they also have their little idiosyncrasies as well, and, and they're kind of, they're entertaining. They're sometimes a little too smart for their own good. But um, <laughs> I do enjoy the yak, and I, I raise them primarily for breeding stock and for meat, but also I want to, um, in the future, be able to harvest the wool. They have really incredible high-quality wool, and um, it's, it's just an amazing product. So that's something that I want to um, spend more time doing. But it does take a long, a lot of work to comb them in the springtime to get that wool off. I also raise laying and hens you, you, and um, pastured laying hens, and they're fed organic, um, non-GMO feed, and so we raise eggs as well. In, in terms of do what does it mean for me in terms of the environment as a farmer or rancher, I really believe, and I believe for a long time, that although farmers have been vilified, and, and rightfully so in many cases, that um, really we have to be, I mean, we really are the original environmentalist. We really have to be environmentalists. We really have to care about our land if we're going to continue to um, be able to grow things and, you know, raise our animals. And, and for me, it's really, really important to be able to 
leave the land better for the next generations, for my my kids and my grandkids and, you know, great-grandkids down the road. To me, that's really critical. That's what I, I guess that's really my important thing in life is to be able to improve the land, to improve the quality of life of my family, and to create a product that's healthy for my, you know, my, my customers as well. And, um, yeah, you know, I can't, I always wanted to change the world, but I realized a few years ago I can't change the world, but I can change my part of the world that I have an influence over. And so that's what I strive to do. Well, you know, Sandra, um, I, I think you just uh, wrapped your interview. <laughs> um, you know, uh, you know, you uh, you know left us with the you know wonderful pearls of wisdom, and um, uh, you know the you know the outlook of the modern day farmer, especially in this um, you know this time of climate change, where you know those sorts of things are on so many people's minds. And uh, you know, I just want to wish you well. You know, I can't even imagine what it would be like to be a Answer and seeing a fire a few miles away. Um, I mean, how would you ever move all your livestock? And um, gee, I mean, that that would be. I, I mean, is there a plan if anything like that would ever happen? Would you be able to actually, you know, move all the cattle and the hens and um, or or you know, do you have some sort of a, a system in place to you know, kind of like. A, set up a wall of, you know, water or something, like um, fire hoses or something. Fire is one of the things that frightens me the most because it is so quick and it is so unpredictable. And uh, actually on the ranch where we held, where we hold the new cowgirl camp, uh, a year ago, two weeks before we went to the August camp, there was a fire there that started on the freeway that, um, the, that goes through the property. And they were fortunate. They had just moved their cattle that morning before the fire took place, but they it burned 100 acres, and um, they lost mo- almost all the timber there in that area as well. So for me, um, I realize that it's difficult. I mean, it'd be impossible to be able to, unless you know the fire is a long ways away, it'd be impossible to get everybody loaded up and shipped somewhere else. And so sometimes the contingency plan has to be, you have the wire cutters, you cut the fence, and you let them out, and you send them, you know, down the road away from the fire. And I hope that never has to happen. Um, I'm part of my community emergency response team. I'm one of the trainers, and I'm also working with the um, our county sheriff's department to um, come up with a plan for both livestock and small animals in disasters. We have lots of plans set up for humans, but we do not have them for the animals. And that's, to me, that's, I mean, to be able to, be able to save my animals, that's, that's a pretty critical thing. And if I were to lose them because of some sort of disaster or fire, that's a pretty devastating thing. So that's what I'm working on in my area. Good for you. Good for you. Um, well, Sandra, I have uh, enjoyed meeting you tonight. Thank you for your wisdom. Um, I think after you do a bunch more cowgirl camps, um, you're going to need to do an update of your book and call it Thriving After 50. And Or even 60 uh, and add to, uh, you know, that much more you're probably going to, uh, you know, learn in your, in your fascinating life. Um, thank you so much for being on the show. I've really enjoyed chatting with you. And thank you so much for having me. I've enjoyed it as well. Okay. Good night, and best of luck to you. Bye-bye. Thanks again. Bye. You know, when Sandra mentioned um, people don't know where their food comes from, I couldn't help but think of two things. One of them was this commercial on television where this uh, poor guy is trying to make guacamole, and he sticks the two avocados, uh, you know, in their shells in the blender. Uh, and in uh, the other commercial where, uh, you know, they're walking along the, the meat aisle in the, in the grocery store and he's holding a, you know, a package of ground meat and he wants a hamburger, but he's not quite sure how it gets from that ground meat state in that uh, styrofoam plastic to that hamburger uh, on the bun on the table like mom would make. Um, 
And the other thing, I just have to share this with you guys because it's so funny. Um, my husband and I used to manage an apartment complex, and one day a tenant told my husband that there was something wrong with his refrigerator, that he couldn't get into the door. Well, he and he went so far as to say, you know, I've been forgetting to tell you that the door in the refrigerator doesn't open. Um, you know, it's been a week now, and I've been going out to eat every night, and I just can't keep doing that. Uh, so could you please check the refrigerator and tell me why the refrigerator door won't open? So, you know, my husband kind of scratched his head, but he thought, well, you know, let me go take a look. So uh, he went into this guy's apartment, looked at his refrigerator. Well, the refrigerator had these recessed handles that were like on the side of the door. It wasn't like one of those uh, handles that was on the flat surface of the door. And so this poor helpless guy didn't even realize that all he had to do was pull the door open, you know, uh, because he didn't see a handle, he couldn't get the door open. Uh, you know, some of these stories, uh, you know, uh, it, you know, it's like truth is stranger than fiction. You know, you just, uh, you know, you wonder about people sometimes. And I don't know, maybe there's a story in there for how we raise our children. We have to make them more self-sufficient and send them to cowgirl camp because it sounds like you'd learn an awful lot there. So um, anyway, uh, dear listeners, um, I want to thank you for uh, being with me again tonight, uh, as I say so often, and I I never can say it enough. You are the gas in my tank. Uh, I would invite you to go to Sandra Matheson's website. Uh, it is thriveafter40.com, thriveafter40.com, and look for her book. Uh, it, uh, I'm sure it's a fascinating read because, you know, in our interviews, we can really only kind of scratch the surface. So uh, that about does it uh, for me for tonight. Uh, I will be with you uh, again next Wednesday. Off the top of my head, I forget what the topic is, but uh, if I invited him on the show, uh, I think it's going to be something interesting. So uh, be sure you go to the show page on Blog Talk and hit the follow button. If you hit the follow button there, uh, every day, uh, usually sometime, you know, 30 minutes or an hour before the show, an email will hit your email inbox and it will tell you the topic of the show, the guest, and it will give you a real convenient link right there which will take you right to the show. And um, that way you can listen at your convenience. Uh, you also have the option of going to the show page anytime and perusing the wealth of archives that are there. Um, and remember, you don't have to listen live because uh, we don't generally take callers anyway. Uh, listen at your convenience. Uh, I hear many of you listen in the car, listen in the airport, listen while you're doing dishes, ironing clothes, whatever. Uh, and uh, I thank you for spending your time with me. Uh, I really do. Um, and finally, uh, please uh, support the show. Uh, as you uh, may or may not know, um, I am retired now without the discretionary income I had last year, and uh, I would love to keep the show on the air. But the show does cost me money. My guests do not pay uh, to come here and share their wisdom. So uh, I would invite you to go to my website, karentate.net. Uh, while you're there, you can look at my books. You can sign up for my newsletter, which is called Dancing at the Edges uh, with Karen Tate. Uh, you can find out about the talks I give, um, and also, of course, there's a link there to the radio show. Uh, but there is a PayPal button that you can click on to make a donation. And you know what? Any amount is greatly appreciated because, you know what, if 100 people give $5, uh, that is a huge help to me. So um, just being honest, letting you know where things are these days, uh, life is in transition, uh, as I've mentioned, and that also means uh, from a monetary standpoint as well. So if the show has been one of the springs that feeds you, uh, please do show your appreciation. Uh, make sure uh, you know I can stick around to be here for you uh, by making a donation or contribution to the show. 
Well, thank you very much. I um, hope you uh, have a great fall because now we are in the season of fall. Uh, we are falling forward. Uh, we had 100-degree temperatures where I am today, but you know what? By Sunday, we are going to be 30 degrees at night. So talk about extreme temperatures. Uh, but you know what? At least where I live now, I actually feel the seasons, uh, unlike in Venice Beach where it was you know, 80 degrees all the time, and uh, Christmas just didn't feel like Christmas. But here it sure does because uh, it'll be chilly and we might even have snow. Uh, all right. Well, that about does it. Uh, this time I really am saying goodbye for tonight, but I'll be back with you next Wednesday, and I hope uh, you're back with me. Thank you and good night. <laughs>